All right, guys, this is definitely my first and probably my last podcast. I'm Scott Cameron. Um, hopefully you'll learn something in this, but if not, I hope you enjoy listening at least. So in the fall of 2015, there were student-led protests at more than 80 different universities throughout the United States in the name of civil rights and racial injustice. Um, a few of these protests drew more attention than others, but the most widely covered protests and the, and the one that most of you should have at least some recollection of um, took place at the University of Missouri's Columbia campus. The Mizzou protest was a wild one for a multitude of reasons. When all was said and done at the University of Missouri, the system's president, Tim Wolf, and the Columbia campus's chancellor, Arbo and Lofton, had resigned from office. There wasn't one single incident that sparked the protest at Missouri. Um, there were actually multiple factors and incidents that occurred on or around the Columbia campus in the days and months leading up to the protest that sparked the anger and need for change felt by um, a good portion of the student body. And there was even many different facets to the protests themselves. For example, these protests, these protests included a list of demands from the students um, that formed a coalition named the Concerned Student 1950. There was a hunger strike from a graduate student. The university football team boycotted practice and was even ready and willing to potentially boycott upcoming games. There was an avoidable altercation at the homecoming parade that involved the now resigned president. And the protest even included a pro professor in the communications department clashing with journalists while calling for, quote unquote, some muscle to remove a student journalist from the protesters area that was widely reported on in the news media. Um, so throughout this podcast, I intend to dive into the factors that led to these protests and also take a look at how the fallout, fallout's been managed after all was said and done. Uh, the protest on their campus actually sparked quite a bit of change. And while a lot of the change has been for the better and has somewhat aligned with what the protesters were advocating for, there was also um, quite a few negative impacts that are still being felt to this day as part of the fallout. So before we get into the protests that actually occurred in November of 2015, it's important to set the stage and discuss the perfect storm of events that ultimately led to the protests itself. Um, in the months leading up to that fateful November, there deemed or there seemed to be racial incidents every other week that involved police officers and the untimely deaths of young African-Americans around the nation. Uh, racial tensions were running high all over the country, and the state of Missouri was home to one of the more widely covered and polarizing incidents. In August of 2014, uh, a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri, shot and killed Michael Brown, an 18-year-old African-American male. Things really escalated in November of 2014 when the St. Louis County prosecutor decided not to indict that police officer after the shooting. Um, there was rioting and widespread unrest um, that was broadcast throughout the nation, and that only furthered the nation's racial tensions. The Michael Brown incident added to other sim similar incidents um, around the nation where an African-American ultimately lost their lives. Um, speaking of the Freddie Gray incident or Sandra Bland, which involved police officers. And then there were also flat out racial attacks, such as the church shooting by Dylan Roof in South Carolina. Um, just, just a few months before the protests occurred in Missouri in September of 2015, Peyton Head, who was Missouri's student body president um, at the time, posted on Facebook that he had been on the receiving end of racial slurs while he was on campus. Um, so, so there was a lot of stuff bubbling under the surface at this point. 
But these weren't the only factors that ultimately led to the protests. There were a couple factors that aren't discussed very much when we look back at what went down at Mizzou. Uh, these involved the cutting of funding for graduate student tuition waivers and the potential loss of insurance through the graduate school. One of the leading voices for the students during the discussions around these topics was an African-American graduate student named Jonathan Butler. The combination of the graduate school's actions and the inaction of the administration ultimately was too much for Butler to ignore. So he decided to take a stand and he actually became the focal point of the protests that were still to come. Um, there were a few local incidents that fueled the fire as well, specifically adding to the growing frustration and concern of the minority student body on Mizzou's campus. As I mentioned earlier, there was the racial slur incident involving the black president of the Missouri Students Association. Following this incident, there was a march through the student center on October the 1st, 2015, in which the students involved shouted, quote, white silence is violence, no justice, no peace, end quote. Uh, the protesters listed various things they wanted from the university's administration, including a, quote, hate crime policy and a formal acknowledgement from administrators that we do have a racial problem here on campus and that administrators are seeking to make sure that it gets addressed properly, end quote. Um, a few days after this demonstration, October, on October the 4th, members of the Legion of Black Collegians were rehearsing for a homecoming performance when a white Missouri student interrupted the practice and directed a racial slur at the group. There were more demonstrations that followed that latest incident. On October the 6th, students assembled in front of the main administrative building on campus and chanted and passed out flyers to other students, encouraging students to, quote, take a stand against administrators who seek to silence our voices and refuse to protect our identities, end quote. Then on October the 8th, the Legion of Black Collegians marched through the heart of downtown Columbia in the hopes of raising awareness of the racial climate and of the police brutality that was occurring throughout the nation. One of the final straws prior to the eventual protests on campus came during the homecoming parade on October the 10th, just a couple days later. Um, a student or a group of students who identified themselves as Concerned Student 1950, which signified the first year um, that a black student attended the University of Missouri, blocked the parade route and stood in front of the university president's car. Um, university president Tim Wolf did not speak with the protesters and did not acknowledge their claims of lackluster efforts to combat racism at a at, at MU. Wolf's inaction and apparent snubbing of the concerned 19 or concerned student 1950 group set the stage for pretty much all of the rest that was to come. While all these factors that I've already discussed surely played key roles in sparking the protest on campus, there were also major problems that were coming to a head inside universities administration as well. Needless to say, but this entire situation was a big old cluster at Mizzou. Um, the aforementioned president, Tim Wolf, and the university's chancellor, Arbo and Lofton, did not have a strong working relationship. Most would go as far as, as saying that they did not like each other. Chancellor Lofton was not well liked by leading faculty on the Columbia campus either. In fact, just one day before that homecoming parade interruption, uh, nine deans met with President Wolf in the hopes of having the chancellor fired. There was no friendly relationship between President Wolf and, Chan and Chancellor Lofton, and eventually the president would come to believe that it was the chancellor who uh, turned the student activist group, concerned student 1950, against him. Um, this level of distrust and the lack of a good line of communication only made handling the eventual protests that much harder. Throughout this entire spectacle, there was not a clear voice coming from the university's administration. This only helped to validate the protesters' claims that they were not being taken seriously, um, as they cannot get clear answers or even any answers or communication at all for quite some time. 
So this brings us right up to the point in time in which all the things that I've just mentioned push the campus and the student activist over the edge and past their breaking point. So before we go any further and discuss what transpired during the protests, I think it'd be good if we reflected upon the climate of cultural competency on the campus of Missouri just prior to November 2015. Um, for those that don't know, essentially cultural competence is a set of attitudes, values, and practices within an organization that enables that organization to work well across multiple cultures. So looking at the Missouri situation, one could definitely say that the organizational competent, cultural competency was pretty lacking. Um, for all intents and purposes, the entire movement that the student protesters were a part of was to bring, a, bring awareness and hopefully change to the culture throughout the University of Missouri. Um, one of the primary tools or models used in academia to evaluate the cultural competence of individuals or organizations is the Bennett scale. The Bennett scale is basically a scale that describes the different ways in which people can react to cultural differences. This scale consists of six stages um, in which each new stage represents a more complex understanding of cultural differences. Um, as one progresses through the first three stages, their predominant worldview is an ethnocentric worldview. This just means that the individuals or organizations in these stages uh, see their own culture as central to reality. Advancing to the latter three stages, the individual or organization develops a more ethno-relative point of view. Ethno-relativism uh, allows for people to experience their own culture in the context of other cultures and not simply through their own eyes. So in the case of Missouri, it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly where on the Bennett scale uh, that the organizational culture would fall. The actions or rather inactions of the university administration throughout the campus crisis would suggest that they would fall somewhere between the second and fourth stages of the scale leaning more towards the ethnocentric point of view by exhibiting both defensive mindsets and postures, as well as uh, actively minimizing the concerns of the student activists. Obviously, some of the events that occurred, such as the yelling of the racial slurs, epitomize an ethnocentric worldview by those who actually use the slurs. Um, the lack of any kind of real response to the initial outcry for change and the perceived lack of attention given to the, concer to the concerns of the student activists could be viewed as either flat out denial of the problem or at the very least the minimization of them. Um, how are minority students supposed to feel as if they're on equal footing with the rest of the student population if they don't feel as if their voices are even being heard? Uh, the only reason that I will give the Missouri administration some credit for exhibiting at least a small bit of ethno-relativism throughout the events that led up to the protest is due to the fact that by this point, there was pretty much almost no way that they could ignore um, the protesters. Chancellor Lofton actually mandated that all incoming freshmen would go through a diversity training program after a meeting with some of that, some of the student protesters in early October of 2015 before everything really blew up. Um, but basically here at this point, I just wanted to touch on the cultural climate at Missouri leading up to the protests. And I'll, I'll kind of uh, revisit this again after everything went down. So now that we've discussed many of the events that led up to the eventual on-campus protests, let's get to the protests themselves. Um, following the interruption of the homecoming parade on October the 10th, the newly formed student activist group Concerned Student 1950 issued a set of demands to the university shortly thereafter on October the 20th, so just 10 days later. While some of these demands were more substantial than others, they included the demand that President Wolf immediately resign from his position. Some of the other demands were not as straightforward or in the eyes of many onlookers, were they rational? 
they actually demanded that not only the president resign, but also that he would acknowledge um, and apologize for his white privilege. This is one of the demands that the media pounced on, and in some instances, it became ammunition for people in opposition to the activists to claim that this was simply a case of race baiting. Um, speaking of President Wolf, in the days and weeks following the October the 10th homecoming parade, he never responded to the students that interrupted the parade that, while they were trying to get his attention. Um, his lack of response is one of the primary reasons in which he was specifically targeted in the October the 20th demands of the Concerned, 19, or Concerned Student 1950 group. <coughs> President Wolf would not actually meet with or speak to any of the student activists until more than two weeks after the homecoming parade. On October the 26th, he sat down with black students and let them air their concerns. This meeting did not go very well and did very little to calm the situation that was brewing. One week later, on November the 2nd, the graduate student that I mentioned earlier, Jonathan Butler, officially began a hunger strike. He camped out on the Carnahan Quadrangle and in a letter to the university's board of curators wrote that he would, quote, not consume any food or nutritional sustenance at the expense of my health until either Tim Wolf is removed from office or my internal organs fail and my life is lost, end quote. So when word of this hunger strike spread, Around 100 or, or so other students organized um, an on-campus protest alongside Mr. Butler. They would also camp out on the Carnahan Quadrangle lawn until his hunger strike ended. Four days into Jonathan Butler's hunger strike, there was finally an, an official apology issued by President Wolf for his involvement in the homecoming parade. In his apology, he would say, Quote, I regret my reaction at the MU homecoming parade when the Concerned Student 1950 group approached my car. I am sorry, and my apology is long overdue. My, my behavior seemed like I did not care. That was not my intention. I was caught off guard in that moment. Nonetheless, had I gotten out of the car to acknowledge the students and talk to them, perhaps we wouldn't be where we are today. You think? <sighs> Just to make sure you're keeping track, that's almost four full weeks after the incident occurred. That apology did not afford him much, if any, goodwill among the student activists at this point. So on November the 7th, a day after the apology, things got even worse for the university. The Missouri football team um, announced that they would not participate in any football-related activity until President Wolf resigned. This is a major blow to the university. The football team was scheduled to play a game against BYU the following week, and the forfeiture of a game would ultimately cost the university and the city of Columbia millions upon millions of dollars. <coughs> As if things could not get any worse, the next day on November the 8th, uh, the, the head football coach, Gary Pinkle, tweeted out his support of the football players. So administration was not on the same page. It was just ugly at this point. Uh, this The story has become national news now, and there are media from all over the nation on the Columbia campus. State politicians are weighing in and calling for the university to get the situation under control. Many Republican politicians use the football team's boycott to portray higher education as a faction of the left wing, while certain news media painted a picture of students running the school. The media coverage and the sensationalism of that coverage cannot be downplayed here. This had a direct impact on the perception of the University of Missouri for years to come. And the impacts are still being felt to this day. Regardless of which side of the argument you fall on, this, this paints a negative picture for the university. Either the students are running the school and the administrators have lost all control, 
Or there are a bunch of racist bigots running around and every minority student is fearful for their own lives. No matter which sensational perspective the media chose to run with, it definitely made the University of Missouri less attractive to incoming students. Uh, more on that a little bit later. Um, back to that hunger strike. <laughs> Finally, on November the 9th, seven days into Jonathan Butler's hunger strike, President Tim Wolf resigned from his post. Not only did President Wolf resign, but Chancellor Lofton also resigned. The student activists had won a sizable victory. Celebrations ensued throughout the Carnahan Quadrangle, and Jonathan Butler finally ate a meal. In the immediate aftermath, media rushed to try to get interviews or any content from the student protesters that had just quote-unquote won. Um, students and some faculty members formed a protective barrier, barrier around the Quadrangle and did not allow media to enter this public space. And one unfortunate and really embarrassing incidents, um, a communications professor at the university, Melissa Click, was caught on camera denying access to a student reporter and then regrettably calling for some muscle to remove the reporter. This was just the icing on the cake for such a wild situation. So in the aftermath of these protests, the university has actually made some pretty significant strides. They've appointed a new systems president, uh, Moon Choi in 2016, and then they hired Alexander Cartwright as the chancellor of the Columbia campus in 2017. The university also hired their first chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, Kevin McDonald, um, in 2016. Discussions with students have been a focus for McDonald, and he has said that he keeps in contact with a few members of the concerned student 1950 group still to this day. Along with the new hires, Missouri also implemented a two-part interactive program for undergraduate students designed to help Students think critically uh, about a campus filled with people from a diverse background. So these steps definitely show progress along the Bennett scale of cultural competency that I spoke about earlier. The administration recognizes that there is a problem and they're taking active steps to try and create a cultural climate throughout the university that's more ethno-relative and takes all cultures into consideration while delivering the college education and experience. So that's the good. But there were also some massive financial impacts of the protest of 2015 as well. Uh, enrollment dropped nearly 13% in the first two years following the incident. In 2017, the new president had to implement numerous budget cuts. And in 2018, the new chancellor announced a forced elimination of 185 employment positions and $45 million in costs to try to close the deficit that they've been running since 2015. So looking at the situation as a whole, I think there are a couple key takeaways. First, even though the students were able to eventually force the resignation of Wolf and Lofton, the spectacle that was the 2015 protests have undoubtedly damaged the University of Missouri, and the university has not yet recovered from that damage. While the intent of the concerned student 1950 group was to better the university through the empowerment of the minority perspective and the acknowledgement by the administration that action was necessary, and while they were successful in enabling, in enabling such action, the university still has yet to recover and is still hurting because of those protests. It's a pretty strange phenomena to me um, because the students clearly care about their university. If they didn't, they wouldn't have been fighting to change it for the better. But that care and that fight ultimately harmed it, at least here in the short term. Uh, hopefully the changes that were brought about because of the activists and the protests will reward the university in the long run, and, and hopefully it'll progress it along the scale of cultural competence. And my final takeaway is, is how this situation at Missouri can be a learning tool for other higher education administrations and potentially a guide of how not to handle a situation. 
the most obvious mistake, at least to me, that the administration of Missouri made was their lack of a unified and timely response. The infighting that was going on between the president, the chancellor, and the deans led to a breakdown in communication um, amongst the parties. Uh, This lack of communication led to mistrust and paranoia. In cases like these, communication is definitely the key. Uh, not only between the administrators themselves in order to present a unified response, but also communications with the students as well. The total lack of communication is mind-boggling to me. If President Wolf would have simply acknowledged the group at the parade, or even before that, when there had been numerous complaints with no response whatsoever, then things may have turned out differently. Uh, he was viewed as the enemy by the activists because he portrayed himself as above the fray and never gave the students the opportunity to be heard. Who knows how things would have transpired if he had simply had an honest, well-intentioned and open-minded conversation with the activists. I mean, who knows, man, that was, that was a lot of stuff to cram into this podcast. Hopefully it was enlightening. And maybe you learned something that you didn't already know about the university of Missouri protests. Sorry. It went over. (laughs) Thanks.